Let's open our Bibles for this second assembly to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. Before our break today, we were looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where the Apostle Paul was reminding the Thessalonians that he had exhorted and charged them, like a father does his children, on how to walk worthy of God, who had called them to his kingdom and glory. That was in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We then turned over to chapter 4 and saw there that walking to please God included sanctifying yourselves sexually, professionally, love of the brethren, and prophetically, that you know what the future is. It's the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And with that, we should comfort one another, and we should not mourn as those with no hope. Because Christians have lives that should be full of hope based on the future promises of the Lord Jesus Christ. What we want to consider right now, in what we, the time we have left, is the duties, the responsibilities, and the work of being in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope that because of last Sunday and this Sunday, that no matter what you're doing or what you're facing, today, tomorrow, or as the days the Lord allows us, you will remember you're in a kingdom. It's not the kingdom of the United States. We're in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, and He is our King, and God is our King, and they have told us to occupy, they have told us to live a certain way as citizens of that kingdom, and we want to do that, and we want to help each other do that. David in 2 Samuel 8, established garrisons in Edom. Those are the descendants of Esau, and in Moab. And those garrisons were also established in Syria, the enemies of God. And from those garrisons, they collected gifts and tribute for the kingdom of God. And David dedicated all those things that he gathered for the glory of God, and they were used in the construction of Solomon's temple. We are an outpost in the upstate of South Carolina, in the United States of America, who has set itself in its government, in its educational system, in its entertainment engines, against the Lord and against the Bible. So we have a fight of our own. And that's to stand fast on Scripture. And so we just want to consider some things from a kingdom standpoint. If you were to take a concordance or an online Bible program and look up the word kingdom in the New Testament, you would be surprised at how many times it's there because Jesus is king. He's king of kings. And we are his citizens, and that's the way it's described most frequently in the New Testament is a kingdom. It doesn't matter whether you're in Matthew chapter 3 and it's John introducing the kingdom, or Matthew chapter 4 and it's Jesus introducing the kingdom, or it's Revelation chapter 12 when now is come the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ when he ascended up into heaven. But here we have some kingdom instruction for us in Romans chapter 14. I read, beginning at verse 16. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace 
and things wherewith one may edify another. Romans chapter 14 is one of the Christian liberty chapters of the Bible. The Christian liberty under consideration here is meat offered to idols. Some of the Jews who weren't going to take a risk of running into meat offered to idols became vegetarians, and they ate only herbs in verse 2 of this chapter. Other Gentiles, which were converted, or vice versa, it doesn't really matter who it was, some didn't care if the meat had been offered to an idol or not because they knew the idol was nothing. And so there was a division in the church, and not only this church, but other churches as well. The other two chapters about Christian liberty are in 1 Corinthians. And the apostle is pointing out that these matters are not what make up the kingdom of God. Your personal problems, and you're a very weak Christian, if it bothered you that meat had been offered to an idol. Because a strong Christian knew that uh, an idol doesn't isn't really a god at all. And who cares if the best meat in town for the best price has been offered to an idol? Go ahead and grill it and eat it. And that was considered a strong Christian. And there were weak brethren, though, who couldn't handle that conscience problem. And the Bible actually does tell us in some matters of liberty who is strong and who is weak. Now, liberty allows the strong to be strong and the weak to be weak until they start offending each other. And they're not allowed to dispute their personal opinions on such things. But the apostle comes and says in verse 17, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. The real issue of fighting the real battles for the Lord is not whether you eat meat or you don't eat meat based on your fear or superstition about idols. The real issues of serving the Lord are righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. This is not earthly joy. This is not natural happiness. This is righteousness. Doing what is right in the sight of God and by the definition of His Word. This is peace. This is not peace with the world. This is peace primarily with your brethren, where there wouldn't be divisions and strife in the church of Jesus Christ. And it's joy. It's spiritual joy because it's in the Holy Ghost. We have no Holy Ghost peace with the world, but we do have Holy Ghost peace and should with the rest of our body, which is the church. So the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's not whether you eat meat or you don't eat meat, or you you think that you're holier than someone else because you don't do something like that. And listen, all the arguments in the world could be mustered that eating meat offered to an idol was an offense against God. God didn't care. That's why it's in this chapter. But there are some things God does care about. And it's righteousness, doing what is right in the sight of God in every part of your life every day, and being at peace with your brethren, and not allowing strife, divisions, or grudges, or bitterness to rise at all, and joy, spiritual joy in the Holy Ghost. And verse 18, you can't get any better than this in having certain things described to us as pleasing God. Verse 18, for he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Those are things we ought to be doing. And so the 19th verse tells us to do them. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. And that included giving up our liberty. While we knew that meat could be eaten that was offered to an idol, if it was going to offend a weaker brother, the Apostle Paul would say, I'm not going to eat meat while the earth stands. If it would cause my brother to sin. That shows how much peace he wanted to maintain with his brethren in the church. Not 
You know, verse 1 warns against doubtful disputations about such things, but the Apostle Paul wanted peace. And that's what we ought to follow for the things which make for peace. Because a kingdom divided cannot stand. And so the kingdom of Jesus Christ, here we are, we're so far from home. We're way out in the middle of Syria. We're so far from home. What if we start fighting each other? Galatians chapter 5 would say, what if we start biting and devouring one another? What's going to happen to the outpost called the Church of Greenville in the upstate of the Carolinas? Here we are in the middle of the enemy territory, and we're supposed to occupy, and we're supposed to hold our ground, and we're, we're not supposed to give up an inch. And we want to take tribute out of this world and give it to the Lord. We want to dedicate everything that we can to the glory and praise of God our Father and Christ our King. But what if we start fighting each other? So we want to follow those things which make for peace and wherewith we may edify each other and build each other up so that this is one elite, trained, efficient, fearless fighting force. If you need military terms to get you juiced up. But the Bible calls it a kingdom. And the Bible tells us we're in a war. And the Bible tells us to fight the good fight of faith. And the Bible describes it to athletics. Where we're athletes and if we're, 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 we're running a race. We're supposed to be pressing for the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We're surrounded with the great cloud of witnesses. And we're supposed to run our race very carefully. Laying aside the weights that, 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 that weigh us down. And the sin that easily besets us. Here's a passage reminding us of the things that are important to us. You know, men have done all kinds of things for earthly kings who could do very little for them. It's amazing to read about them in the, in the annals of human history. Earthly kings are ridiculously inferior to God and the Lord Jesus Christ, but what men have done for their kings, they have served devotedly and diligently just to be near the king paid like a servant or a slave, and yet they would devotedly and diligently, day after day, their entire lives, serve a king, just to be near him. Men have put themselves in mortal danger. That's they've risked their lives for the safety of their king or the praise of their king. Others have committed suicide for their kings out of loyalty or out of hope of a future reward. Now, when you think about those things and you ask yourself, Wow, what have I done for my king? He wants you to give your body a living sacrifice, which I've already prayed once in the second assembly. You can do something for your king. They have done it for a king that couldn't even do anything for them, really, in this world, and certainly not in the next world. And our king can do great things for us in both. And we ought to be serving him with all our might. What will you gladly do for the king of kings? Are there any inventions in your life? And I know there are, and you know there are. We want to get rid of every invention in our life that encroaches upon what our king wants us to be doing in our outpost in this world. Lord, help us to that end. The servants are the greatest in the Christ kingdom. Do you serve one another? Are you willing to do anything for anyone in here? You know, I had a small little announcement to make before this before we prayed, before I began preaching about one brother helping another brother get some business. 
though it might be a very small matter, and some of you might be mocking at it, or, or not, I don't think you would do that, except the brother that got the business for the other brother, but he shouldn't be either. Because that's how we serve one another. Anything that we can think of that would benefit another, we want to build this team. And, you know, I don't want, I don't like using carnal terms. I'm calling, it's a kingdom, but I'm trying to give you some synonyms for it. It's team. This church is only as good as all of its links. Remember, it's what every part and every joint supplies that builds up a church. And so we want to be helping each other in any way that we can to be a greater fighting force for the Lord Jesus Christ. Greater citizens of His kingdom so that it stands. And that it is worthy of our King, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the work of faith and the labor of love and the patience of hope that works. You two girls, when I heard about it yesterday that you two girls were doing it today, you were going to provide the food for this whole church to eat. That's not a small matter. I was thrilled. Thrilled. You're young. And neither of you have a middle name named Phoebe. But you're starting to act like Phoebe. And this is what parents want to do, should do, is teach your children to love Christ's kingdom and want to serve it and be like a Phoebe. There was a businesswoman in the Bible, and she got two verses about her. Whatever business she hath of you, you give her whatever she needs. She has been a sucker of many and of me myself. The Apostle Paul wrote of Phoebe. We want to be servants. The Lord Jesus Christ said, in my kingdom, the greatest are the servants. Servants are those that get down and do other things for other people. And that's what we want to be great at doing. I showed you last Sunday, and I just referred to it by quoting from Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16, that a church is built up by that which every part supplies. And so here we are, an outpost. And in an outpost, whether that garrison had 20 soldiers in it or 200 soldiers, every one of those soldiers in an outpost or a garrison of David would have had duties assigned to them that if those duties were not discharged carefully, the post could fall. You depended on one another. When you were in the sack getting some shut-eye, there were others on guard. And if those on guard did not do their job, you were going to be bayoneted in your bed. Which has happened many times in the annals of human history and military conflict. But here we are. We need to encourage each other and keep each other awake. The Lord Jesus Christ Himself would say to us, Awake out of sleep and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. We have a war to be about fighting, and we can't be sleeping. We need to wake up and be diligent about it. Do you know how many one another duties there are in the New Testament? I can't preach that sermon right now, but you could go look it up. You could think about it. How many places in the Bible does it say one another in combination? That composite pronoun, one another. Each member, the one having duties toward each other member, another. Another is a singular pronoun. One is a singular pronoun. That is our duties, one at a time toward every other member in this body. And it's surprising. Just go punch into a Google. You could do that too. But into a Bible search program, one another. And you're going to find all the duties that we owe toward every other member. And that's what makes a team great. 
That's what makes a kingdom great. And that's what makes this outpost strong. And that's how we are to be treating each other in the church of the Lord Jesus. You know, there are some that are called to what's commonly referred to as full-time Christian service. And God has, through Jesus Christ, given gifts and assigned duties to some men to be about it with most of their waking hours. But I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 3 with me, and I want to show you how you can be thinking of Christian service yourself. I just passed over the one another duties because I had you men seven weeks ago on a Wednesday evening right here and in a PowerPoint presentation entitled Keepers of the Kingdom, I went over some of your important duties at preserving this outpost of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, this church, this body, this temple of God through Jesus Christ. Some men are called to full-time Christian service. In Colossians, since you're there, and I look in chapter 4 of Colossians, I see in verses 10 and 11 that the Apostle Paul is going to mention three and give them some pretty high praise. Colossians 4.10 Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom he received commandments, if he come unto you, receive him. And Jesus, which is called Justice, who are of the circumcision. These only are my fellow workers unto the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. At this particular time, in this particular context, the Apostle Paul names three men and says, These only are my fellow workers unto the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. So those that have been assigned full-time Christian duties, there's precious few that discharge their duties the way they should. That's why the Apostle Paul could say, I labored more abundantly than they all. If Jesus Christ is truly king, and if we are truly in a kingdom of Christ, we should be willing, able, and zealous about giving our very best. These three were. Paul commended them. Now, what about you? Well, you're going to go home this afternoon, and I hope get some rest. You're going to go to bed tonight, and I hope get some more rest. And you're going to get up in the morning, and in the ordinary course of things, some of you might have some exceptions for the time being. You're going to go to work. You're going to go to work in the world. You're going to have to leave the post and go into town. Here's what the Bible has to say. Verse 22. Servants. That's what you are if you have to get up in the morning. (laughs) You're a servant. You have to show up someplace. Colossians 3.22 Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. You're going to go work for Edomites and Moabites. Not with eye service as men pleasers. Don't just do it to make them happy because they see the sweat dripping off the end of your nose running around on their behalf. Don't be doing it for them but in singleness of heart, fearing God, because God is a great king. And you're actually serving him because you're in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, though you're going into town among the Syrians, Edomites, or Moabites from your outpost, because we're going to leave this assembly, and we're going to go out into the world. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily, 
as to the Lord, and not unto men, because you serve the Lord Christ. I'm getting ahead of myself. Verse 24, Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. We do everything as unto the Lord, and even from a reward standpoint, your boss can only give you this pitiful little check that actually if you were to show it to other people in here, we'd all laugh at it. Because it's nothing. It's ridiculous. But there's a Lord you're going to work for that's going to give you the reward of the inheritance. What is that inheritance? The entire universe for eternity. Where neither wrath, where neither moths corrupt nor rust corrupts, thieves don't break through or steal. It's reserved in heaven for us forever. We're joint heirs with the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is how the Bible tries to exhort you to be diligent tomorrow morning. You're serving the Lord Christ. The last clause of verse 24. But he that doeth wrong, if you go and are lazy tomorrow and you don't have a Christian work ethic, that means you're doing wrong. You shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. God doesn't care what you think of yourself. God doesn't care what your employer thinks of you. How are you working in the sight of God? You're serving the Lord Christ. I love this Bible. I love this gospel. It touches every part of our lives. I try to preach to you the whole counsel of God. I hope I hit everything from romance novels to how you work tomorrow when you go to work for someone. Because the Bible addresses it all. This is how you work in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Even on the job. You don't do it to please your boss. That's eye service. That means you're trying to make a man happy. You're trying to make that man happy because you want some goodies from him. The Lord wants you to serve him as your chief goal of employment tomorrow. And even if you own your own business and you're putting in a truck windshield to some nasty truck owner, you can do it as unto the Lord with great care in every part of it. The price, the accounting, the communication, the cleanliness, seeing the job through from beginning to end, repairing the sprinkler system, or whatever needs to be done to finish a job. Every one of you is going to get an opportunity tomorrow. This is it. Remember I told you how simple this is. I just want you to go out of here today realizing that the way you drive, the way you talk, the way you think, what you do in your home, with your wife, with your children, what you do on the job tomorrow is kingdom activity. The Lord has not assigned us to go out and kill the Philistines. The Lord has assigned us to live in front of the Philistines in a way that causes them to glorify God on our behalf because of the testimony that we have. When we have a forward master that mistreats us, we do them service. We're faithful. Why? Out of conscience toward God. What does that mean? Out of conscience toward God. Because you know that on the job, you have a king in heaven who is watching you. And if you don't do it as unto him, the 25th verse is for you. 
If you do it as unto him, then verses 22 through 24 are for you. You're going to get the reward of the inheritance. Do you mean I can earn my way to heaven by the way I work Monday through Friday? Not quite, but close. A whole lot closer than what the Arminians think about the Bible. This is the character and the evidence of a child of the king. Right Right there. For ye serve the Lord Christ. See, I was raised in a system that if you weren't a pastor or a missionary, you were a second-rate loser, you stinking accountants. You lawyers wasting your life being lawyers when you could be a missionary. You're not serving the Lord. You just want to make money. Well, I thought that's what First Thessalonians 4 said we're supposed to make. So that we'll have lack of nothing. And then Ephesians says, so that you can not only have lack of nothing, but that you can have to give to others. It says that in the Bible. Because only some. Are all apostles, Paul would ask in 1 Corinthians 12, are all evangelists, are all prophets? No, no, no. You serve the Lord Christ right here. That should be exciting. Yes, you are going to the Philistines tomorrow morning. Clemson University. Uh-uh. I'm going to my office. I know. You must be able to handle it. You handle it. Who wants to go to work at Clemson University tomorrow and have to go in and wire those dorms? I'll plug my computer in in my office, and that's all the wiring I'll do. Lord, help us tomorrow to serve you as king. This is how it's done. Every part of our lives. To be faithful as unto the Lord. Look at Proverbs 11. Proverbs 11. I just want to lay some kingdom duties on you before we go home and put it into practice. There's more that could be said, much more that could be said, much more has been prepared to be said. But let me give you some things that you can remember. I just want you to leave realizing that in your home, God sees everything that goes on in your home. God sees everything that goes on in your heart. All things are naked and open under the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. If you have any inventions there of bitterness or a grudge or anything towards your spouse or toward any other brother in here or toward our government, remember you curse the Lord in your thoughts, God judges it. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 20. You curse the rich in your bedchamber, the Lord hears it. Don't think you can get away with another job tomorrow. Don't you dare purloin. Don't take little little thefts. There's so many opportunities that you can have to do it in a free society like our own. But we don't. Why? Because we serve the Lord Christ. Because our King and our Master is watching us. And we don't even want to please those that are our supervisors as our primary motivation for work. We want to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to tell you something, that if you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to please those men better than they've ever been pleased in their lives. Proverbs 11 and verse 30. Do you fit here? Proverbs 11.30, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. This is a kingdom duty. On an outpost in the world... From time to time, fellow soldiers are going to be led astray. Fellow soldiers are going to fall into error. 
And it's your duty to be a soul winner. And I'm using soul winning in the way the Bible uses the term soul winning. We don't believe that the Apostle Paul or any other mere man like him has ever added a name to the book of life. But we do believe that the Apostle Paul gave himself to win the souls of God's elect. And it should be our passion as well to help one another. So that when we see someone in error, we want to warn them. Warn the unruly is a church duty in 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. If we're going to give the Lord the fruit that He deserves from His vineyard, this is one way we do it. We are a tree of life. People can come and pick fruit off us and benefit their lives. We give them spiritual sustenance. We give them wisdom. We give them knowledge and understanding. We give them correction and reproof. We even smite the righteous and they come into kindness when we help them please their king more perfectly. And if we all did that, then this whole body, this outpost, this church would please the Lord Jesus Christ more perfectly. We should all be striving and working to provoke one another to love and to good works so that this will be the best, compact, growing, efficient kingdom outpost of our king. Well, how do I get better at 1130? You know, I don't know if I'm a tree of life. All I do is chit-chat with people and I don't really have that much wisdom and I don't know how to win souls. I need to be one more than I'm winning. Well, then turn over to chapter 18 and verse 1 and let's see a kingdom duty. Proverbs 18 and verse 1. Through desire. Now you just told me that you're not very good at winning souls. Do you have the desire to be a better soul winner? I hope you have the desire. Through desire. Well, here's what you do if you've got the desire. If you want to be a better soul winner, through desire a man, having separated himself, seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. A man who wants to be a better soul winner and who wants to be a tree of life so that people want to come to him and eat the fruit off him. They want to ask him questions because he's going to give them wise, noble, scriptural answers. How does he do it? He separates himself. He stops playing video games. He cuts back on the hours that he wastes playing round ball and any other game that he's involved in or any other hobby that he's involved in because he wants to separate himself from that junk and seek and intermeddle with all wisdom. Now, there's a place for junk, but it's very small. There's a big place for this. And this is exciting stuff. I've tried the ball games before. I'm 55. I've played a few ball games. I had a 455 cubic inch, 400 plus horsepower, 433 rear end GTO with a four speed Hurst transmission. So what? I wish I could go back to those days and not until you're 55, young men, will you understand what it's like to be 55 and think back about those days and wish I had done more of this. Diving into Proverbs 18.1 and separating myself from junk hobbies and interests and seek and intermeddle with all wisdom. And I hope that the young men in this church, because you've been taught some of these things more aggressively than others, you're going to be way ahead of us, older men. And we want that for you. Outstrip us. We want to retire from the outpost. You're going to put us in a box when we retire. 
But we want to know that there are young men carrying us to our body's temporary sleeping place that are strong and are going to do exploits in our absence. This is how you do it. The Bible says, When for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. Hebrews 5, 12 through 14. That's a shame. You should be growing and accumulating in knowledge and having it. They are ready to be able to use it on the tip of your tongue, in the, in the filing cabinet of your mind. Don't be part of this lazy generation that has to put it all on some little electronic device. That's not useful. I'll put you to the test anytime. You will not be able to apply wisdom because there's no electronic device that can help you with wisdom. Wisdom is beyond just bare facts and knowledge. Wisdom is how to be able to perceive and understand a situation and judge righteous judgment. An electronic device can only judge by appearance. It can't judge righteous judgment if it's able to judge by appearance. I want you to hide it in your heart. The Bible says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. This is part of your kingdom duty. Did you read in Matthew 13 last night, verse 52, that a good householder goes in and brings out of God's treasure things new and old? Do you love them both? You say, well, the old ones bore me. They shouldn't, because I'd love to see you teach the old ones. And let me sit and ask the questions. It shouldn't bore you. Repetition of old things is what Peter said we ought to do even though his audience was established in the present truth in Second Peter chapter 1. You know, it's our duty as the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ to get rid of carnal members, the enemies of Jesus Christ, whether we do it privately or publicly. And that was part of the keepers of the kingdom exhortation that I gave the men. We must earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. We are going to take strong stands, and we do take strong stands. Do you remember Nehemiah chapter 13, where Nehemiah saw that the recovered Jews from Babylon had married pagan wives? And remember, what did he do to them? He contended with them. How was his contention? Did he say, brethren, these things ought not to be done? Or did he smite them? Did he pluck their beard? Did he curse them in the name of the Lord? Did he have a national divorce day? Absolutely. They had to divorce all their wives and get rid of them, even though there were children by those marriages, because Nehemiah was serious about contending for righteousness. And so we're going to be committed in our outpost that we are not going to let an Edomite girl or a Moabite boy into our midst to get one of our children. That's just one example of many about us earnestly contending for the faith. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Anybody that hears about our church in this day and age, they think that we have gone nuts. We're too picky. You're legalists. They don't even know what a legalist is. They couldn't define it if you gave them a week to study it. A legalist is someone that thinks you have to work to earn your way to heaven. Someone who just wants to keep God's commandments large and small is a faithful saint. Amen. So call us Christians. I gave you this last week. I know when I'm repeating and covering ground because I know what I want you to leave with. I know what I want you to remember. Matthew 5 and verse 19. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. 
We are talking about kingdom duties. And if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, then you are going to teach the little commandments, and you're going to do the little commandments. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. The little things about the way we worship, the way we do. Why we're so picky about our Bibles. The way we study in our Bibles. Our church facilities. The holidays that we will and that we will not keep. The qualifications for those that our children can marry. That long list of ancient landmarks of our faith are what God has given us to defend and earnestly contend for as we hold our outposts in a sinful world. And the, the, danger, the greatest threat is the Christians around us have joined forces with the world. And they want us to compromise right along with the world wanting us to compromise. Do you know what the greatest way that you can contend against the wicked is? It's to keep the law of God yourself. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 4 says, They that forsake the law praise the wicked. But such as keep the law contend with them. Do you know the strongest statement that you can make against sodomy is not to go do what the Westboro Baptist Church does. The best thing that you can do is to have a fantastic, love-filled, satisfying Marriage to someone of the opposite sex. I hope that was understood. According to the text of Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 4, we don't sign petitions, although we would if it was going to do any good. We don't go demonstrate. We pray, but we praise the wicked when we have marriages that aren't perfect. We're praising the wicked because they're saying marriage doesn't work. This society has proved that marriage doesn't work. And if you call yourself a Christian, you're proving it doesn't work because look at you and your wife aren't happy. But you know what? When we have a great marriage, we're contending with all those people that shack up and have no commitment with each other. What is, what is shacking up called in the Bible? Whoremongering. Those people that shack up, same-sex marriages, same-sex relationships, we prove them all wrong by showing how happy a man and a woman can be together. And on top of that, they fit. It's contrary to nature and it's abomination and a perversion. But how do we contend with that stuff? We just live righteously. We don't go out and arm ourselves with guns and burn up abortion clinics or demonstrate like the group that I've mentioned already who, though they claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, shame Him by the way that they approach that. I'm showing you how to approach it. Make your marriage great. Was it? Was your marriage great? Amen. First Corinthians chapter 1. We live in a sick society. Let all these Edomites and Syrians and Moabites around us be whoremongers, be adulterers, be fornicators, be sodomites. Do you know how we show them all wrong? Do you know how we bless our king? Do you know how we adorn the gospel? Do you know how we say the truth is truth? And the truth works. And your sick way of doing things doesn't work. And your sick way of doing things is contrary to God. We don't even have to say those words outside of these assemblies. 
We just go out of this assembly and we love our spouse the way that we should. Let's move on. Very, we just, we, let's quickly cover some other points. We want to be of one mind. Jesus Christ would say, all men shall know that ye are citizens in my kingdom by the love ye have one to another. Right. He actually said in John 13, 35, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. Those are citizens of my kingdom by the love ye have one to another. It doesn't say the love we have toward those outside the church. It says the love we have toward one another inside the church. You know, where we have to live with each other, where we get to know each other, where we encounter each other and offend each other from time to time. Those are the ones we're supposed to love. And by that love, we show that we are Jesus Christ's disciples. Here's another verse saying the same thing, though a little differently. 1 Corinthians 1.10 Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and this is Paul addressing a church, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. That's a mouthful. That's a long verse. But look at it. It is declaring that we as a church, all of our individual parts together, ye all. That's y'all. Ye all speak the same thing. No divisions. Perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Charity is the bond of perfectness. While the men gathered outside under a tree for a picture at break time today, the men made the... There was a little bit of comparisons being made about some of us are Yankees and some of us are rebels, or let's put it a different way. Some of us are northerners and some of us are southerners. And you know, we all know the Bible verses that say, in Jesus Christ there is neither Greek nor Scythian nor barbarian nor Jew nor Greek nor rich nor poor nor male nor female. It all disappears in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to always remember that because there's got to be unity in this outpost for it to work against the wiles of the devil and against this world that is out to destroy us. Do you pray for our kingdom here? And do you pray for the kingdom around the world? That God will raise up men to be bold in preaching the gospel message and that God's saints will be protected from evil, strengthened in their hearts, and that God the Holy Spirit will bless those churches? We must be about praying. In Ephesians chapter 6 where it tells us to take unto ourselves the whole armor of God and stand against the wiles of the devil, the activity other than standing is praying. We just put the armor on and we stand our ground. We are going to resist and we are not going to give an inch and we pray. Praying always with all prayer and supplication, with all perseverance for all saints. That's a lot of praying in Ephesians 6 and verse 19. Are you zealously affected about this matter? Galatians 4.18 says, It is a good thing to be zealously affected always about a good thing. This is a good thing. Jesus Christ's kingdom. Are you zealously affected about it? I am going to leave my home. You men, I'm addressing you. You're a father. You know, having a baby is nothing. Junkyard dogs have babies. Who's going to train their babies to grow up to be Phoebes? 
who's going to train their babies to grow up to be God-fearing princes in the house of God. Let's be real fathers. Let's apply ourselves to the work that's at hand. Are you zealous about it? Every man in here should go home and say, my home is going to be run like an outpost of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, that when God and Jesus Christ look into this home, and I know they see everything that is said, thought, and done in this home, they are going to be very pleased that I'm pleasing my king. The reward of the inheritance is yours. You're serving the Lord Christ. Oh, to teach your children how to be kingdom citizens. You have such an opportunity in your home. By your example and by your instruction, you can train your children to be kingdom-minded adults. Kingdom-minded. They're always thinking, what can I do for someone else? The Lord's work comes first. Church assemblies come first. The Word of God is most important. By your example and by your instruction to them. Do we have adversaries? The world hates the kingdom of Jesus Christ and will do anything it can to destroy it. But Jesus Christ died on the cross to crucify the world to us and us to the world. The world hates true Christianity. It wants you in the wide gate and the broad way along with everyone else, but not your king. He's got a special way chosen out for you. It's called the straight and narrow way, and it leads to life, and they don't know it. They say the good life is in our broad way and our wide gate, but it leads to destruction. They're all on a path to hell. But your king has another way for you, and it's the way of life. He would say, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. The Bible says of him and his rules, his commandments are not grievous. If you keep the commandments of God, you will realize the ultimate, the optimal. You will maximize pleasure in this life, and you will lay up and store a good foundation against the time to come for the next life. You want to go read about the personal lives of sodomites and those who divorce and who break up marriages and commit all the other sins and crimes, some of which we've mentioned? Do you want to go look at their personal lives and see how happy they are? The children of God ought to be the happiest people because God's given us commandments that save us from all the thorns of the way of the froward. The way of transgressors is Amen. Thank you for letting me preach to you once in a while. I'm glad that you know the Word of God. The way of transgressors is hard. We had a brother read to us from Psalm 107 about how his life had brought affliction upon him. But oh, what a difference there can be. And when we're in the flesh, when we're in the flesh, and we look at living in the Spirit, it looks so boring. But once you get in the Spirit... And you look at living in the flesh, you say, why in the world did I ever do that? What happens? It's perspective. It's the Holy Spirit opening your eyes to see the truth of the matter. You know, the world's not going to help you. And if you try to befriend the world and you're committing spiritual adultery, the devil's not going to help you. He is going to fight to the final end against Jesus Christ and his kingdom with profane fury. Even when he knows He has but a little season left. He is going to come out with all his power, but we know one thing. He is totally destroyed in the end. And what do we do in the meantime? We stand our ground. We resist the devil, and what will he do? 
He will flee from us. Why? Because Christ has defeated him already. And if he knows that we're going to resist and we're doing it in the power that Christ gives us and by the Holy Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's got easier game elsewhere. He's limited in time and space. He's not going to waste his time on you if you'll put up a fight. It's when we don't fight that he comes after you with a vengeance. Because you give him an open door. Give no place to the devil, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4. And the context of that 27th verse is when you're angry. When you're angry and you let your spirit get out of control, you give place to the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. We should never be angry until we're forced to be angry and then only for holy reasons and toward objects worthy of that anger. The Bible would say in Matthew chapter 5 that we should never be angry without a cause and the 22nd verse. You need the whole armor of God. You need to put it on yourself and stand. You need to put truth on. You need to put peace on. And all the other things that are described in Ephesians chapter 6 and that is how we fight this war. He is going to send all kinds of temptations, tribulation, and persecution after us. But we are the woman. And the Lord is going to provide two great wings of an eagle. Now he's already done that in the great historical picture of God protecting his church during the dark ages. But every day he can protect you. If you will make a choice for him and say no to the devil that hates the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your flesh is in love with the devil and the world and is never going to encourage it towards you. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, those are three things that you have. You're in total cohorts with the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. We should drop all those things. The Apostle Paul would say, I keep my body under, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Carnal Christianity is on every side, brethren. Nobody else cares anymore. Listen, if a Baptist marries a Presbyterian, who cares? And once a Baptist can marry a Presbyterian, then if a Baptist marries a Methodist, who cares? And then a Lutheran, then they might as well marry a Catholic. Listen, they're Christians too. They're just a little different than we are. And why don't you just go ahead and marry a Mormon? Well, what's the difference? Let's get a Muslim. You know, they just keep breaking down. Listen, we have an outpost in Syria, in Edom and Moab, and we don't. But carnal Christians around us, they're lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And the great love that we should have is for the God that we read about in Psalm 99, the God who's the king of our kingdom. And they don't have it. They've, They've given it up. The Bible says they don't have it. They love pleasures more. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. What's the power? We have a king that is coming to judge this world. Did you read what he's going to do in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1? He is going to be revealed from heaven. They've never seen him. They've never seen anything like him. That little long-haired hermaphrodite that they have hanging on their walls does not look anything like the Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to be revealed from heaven. The Bible says in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate. He is coming from heaven in flaming fire with his mighty angels to take vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They can have their little praise bands and their little church services where they sit around in their flip-flops, T-tops, and suck on Starbucks and think they're worshiping some God. It's another Jesus, another spirit, and another gospel. We're going to hold to the old paths just like we're told. We're going to hold the ancient landmarks. And Lord, help us hold fast. And having done all, to stand. We're to be thankful for truth. 
How many times have I quoted to you 2 Thessalonians 2.13, but we are bound to give thanks always. But do you know that it goes on to say, Wherefore, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught by word or our epistle. Because Christians around us are making attacks on those things that are dear to us. Moses would ask you, the meekest man the face of the earth, Moses would ask, who is on the Lord's side? What's the future of our kingdom? The devil's going to be loosed for a little season to wage war against the saints, and he's going to come up on the breadth of the earth around the camp of the saints. It's a spiritual war. Don't be looking for tanks. Tanks are too easy to fight. Television is a much greater danger than a tank. Your friends could be very easily more dangerous to you than your foes. All enemies will formally and finally be put under the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, for he must reign until he hath put all enemies under his feet. 1 Corinthians 15, flesh and blood cannot inherit the everlasting kingdom of Jesus Christ, so you're going to get a body renovation, so am I. Flesh and blood cannot inherit Jesus Christ's kingdom. It's not good enough to have these stinking carcasses. We're going to get glorified bodies to be with the Lord Jesus Christ forever. And then the Lord Jesus Christ is going to order an abundant entrance into his everlasting kingdom for those that had fruitful lives. I love 2 Peter 1.11 where it says that an abundant entrance, I just... An entrance sounds pretty good to me. You know, they talk about the pearly gates. You know, we pass through the curtain of death. We're resurrected. Our bodies are given back to our spirits. And the gates swing open. Now, that's an entrance. But 2 Peter 1.11 says, an abundant entrance. I don't want to sneak through a crack in the door. I don't want to barely be saved. These are expressions, some of these expressions the Bible uses. I want an abundant entrance. Welcome into the joy of thy Lord. As mighty angels stand there and do us service because there are servants who are the adopted sons of God. That is our future. It's a privilege to be a member of the kingdom of Jesus Christ and it's a blessing and a gift of grace. And it's beyond description. What are you going to give back to him this day? I started last Sunday... And I end with the same passage. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 15. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Mm -hmm. The love of Christ should constrain you. The terror of God should persuade you. After that ninth through 11th verses, Paul would say, We thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And they which live should henceforth not live unto themselves, but unto him that loved them and gave himself for them. For the love of Christ constraineth us. There's two reasons why we should close up this assembly and go out into the world and be faithful citizens of the Lord Jesus Christ. The terror of the Lord should persuade us. It did Paul. And the love of Christ should constrain us. It did Paul. Can we go out and serve the Lord Jesus Christ like he did? Can you say, I labored more abundantly than they all in the things that God has given each of us to do. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. May this outpost remain faithful in these perilous times of the last days. May God and his son, Jesus Christ, the prince of the kings of the earth, approve us and be pleased with us.
in how we live at home and how we worship together in this assembly. May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen.